Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Pastor Stovall sends his greetings. He's in France right now. Aren't you glad for Pastor Stovall and Carrie, our pastors? Aren't you grateful for them? Um, He's going to be back this next week. He had a great trip to Israel. Um, Man, God's doing stuff all over this globe. And we as a church get to be a part of that. And uh, we're so grateful for that. But Pastor Stovall has a lot of great things that have happened on his trip. He's in Paris right now. We've got an awesome church plant there. We're connecting with people all over this globe. And how many know there's a move of his spirit going on that... It's going to take uh, a lot to disrupt it, you know? Things are going so great right now all over the globe. And really, we're in that season. You've heard it from Pastor Stovall. You've heard it prophetically from the pulpit that we're in a season where God doesn't want us just to, to manage our brokenness anymore. He wants us to move into a place where we're, where we're whole, uh, wholeness. You know, the scripture uh, speaks of being whole. The word is sozo in the Greek. And and that means everything's just complete. And, and the, the Word of God says that, that we can actually be transformed through the renewing of our minds. Second 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, when you look in a mirror and you see Jesus, just by beholding who he is, something transforms inside of you. And he says there's like this veil that comes off. And when that veil comes off and you start seeing who Jesus is, and that reflected back to you, you start becoming something radically different. And the key is, is beholding the right, the right one, right? When you look in that mirror. And so when you get into the word of God, when we get into the scriptures this morning, I encourage you to find Jesus because he's all over the Old Testament, all over the New Testament. And when you start beholding him, the promise is we'll be transformed from one degree of glory to another degree. How many of you will take just one degree of glory this morning, right? That's a good thing. Let's pray. We'll jump into the Word of God. Father, we just uh, welcome you uh, this morning to speak to us. Um, Lord, you do a miracle. You, you would pull back a veil this morning that we could see differently than maybe how we've been seeing that, that you would uh, help us in our circumstances to see just how you see things. God, would you give us proper perspective this morning? Uh, Father, if there's any short-sightedness, any blindness spiritually in us, Lord, you would, you would cure us this morning. You would let us see how we're supposed to see. In Jesus, your mighty name we pray, amen. Amen? Well, here we are. We're gonna look at Peter's life a little bit today. Um, Peter has become kind of a punching bag to uh, preachers, we kind of use his life to to amplify mistakes, right? That he's made, and and we put it up against the back. You know, we put Jesus up against the backdrop of his failures, and Jesus looks pretty good, right? And and you know, the kingdom of God is like that. It's it's almost like you can come into moments like this. You come into a spiritual environment, and maybe you've never been in an environment like this before. You come from different backgrounds, and and there's that part of you that that you wonder, man, am I worthy? How, how does this all work? And, and can I just put you at ease? Like, if you go to a jeweler, uh, there's an amazing thing that happens with diamonds. They look more brilliant when they're put up against the backdrop of darkness. And so even if you're in darkness today, I got good news for you. 
you might just be the backdrop where Jesus' brilliance could be seen at a whole other level. So even your weakness and your darkness is not something to like be intimidated by and fret about. Uh, Jesus said in regard to sin, he referred to it as a speck. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't try to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Look at your neighbor and say, you have my word, I'm not gonna try to take that speck out of your eye. Because he says you got a big old plank coming out of your own eye. And about the time you try to reach in and help somebody out with their, their sin, you smack him in the head with your own stuff. And it's because Jesus' perspective is everything. Sin to him is not a big deal. That's why he died. To, to get, kill the power of that, right? And, and then he was raised from the dead to conquer the ultimate foe of, of God, which is death. And so as you sit here this morning, man, there should be an expectancy in you to, to, to know and grow and understand that this is really all about what we sang about. This is about Jesus. When we make it about us, we miss the beauty of Jesus. And so in this season, especially today, I just felt from the Lord that, that we just want to have Jesus as the main course this morning. You know, let's not make him our side dish. You know, you go to a buffet. How many of you ever been to a good buffet? And, and I'll be honest with you, man, I don't go look at the side dishes. I go see what they have for meats and treats. You know, forget those side dishes. And we don't want Jesus to ever become a side dish. In, in, our, in our building here, we don't want him to be at the kiddie table. You know what I mean? He's the center course. He has to become everything to us. And, and we're gonna talk about a vital question that Jesus asked his own disciples that I think he asks us on a regular basis. And we're gonna get into that in a moment. But the answer to that question, how we respond to this question, is a huge determining factor in your existence as a follower of Jesus. Okay, and we're gonna use Peter as the backdrop here. And, and we're gonna look at a scripture here in Matthew chapter 16. We're gonna look at verses 15 through 17. And all throughout human history, this question, when, when answered correctly, becomes a catalyst for incredible moves of God. And Jesus has taken his disciples, these, these guys that were these spiritual rejects, most of them, and Jesus shows up as this rabbi, and he does something crazy. He calls them out of normalcy and, and says, follow me. And his proposition was, if you follow me, you gotta leave everything else behind, just follow me. And so these guys started following him and Jesus would take them into situations regularly to, to, to reveal what they actually believe. Does that make sense? And so in this passage, Jesus is taking his disciples out of their comfort zone of familiarity. He's taking them north of Galilee into a region called Caesarea Philippi and this region was historically known as the gates of hell. Okay, so here you are, a follower of your rabbi, and your rabbi says, hey guys, we're gonna go on a field trip, and by the way, we're going into the gates of hell. Okay, so they're in a position where they're uncomfortable, they're a little bit naked and exposed in their belief structure, and Jesus, in this moment, asks the question that we need to be reminded of this morning. Does that register with you guys? So he says, who do the people say that I am? And the disciples start, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead, right? Some, some people say you're one of the prophets. 
And then Jesus looks at all of his disciples. They're, they're in the region they shouldn't be. They're in a place that notoriously demon worship has taken place. See, Jesus always went into environments he wasn't supposed to because he was convinced greater was he who is in him than he that was anywhere else. And what he wants his church to start believing is that there's someone greater in us than the one that's coming against us, okay? So just keep it real simple. Your dad's bigger than the enemy. Okay, just start there today. A couple places to start with God every day you wake up. Number one, your dad can destroy every one of your enemies. He's bigger than every enemy. And there's more of him in you than you in you. It's a good place to start every day. That's not self-help, that's wisdom, okay? But he looks at his disciples and he says, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question to the church right now. Who do we say that he is? Easy to say that he's the Christ, the son of the living God in this room, isn't it? But what about tomorrow when you come under the pressures of your daily existence? Right? And if somebody came up to you and put a microphone in your face and said, who do you say that Jesus is when you're in the midst of changing diapers, when you're in the midst of boardroom meetings, right? When you're in the midst of going to a class, who is he? Who do we say that he is? And Peter, in a moment of brilliance, gets a revelation that my prayer, my hope is that all of us get at some point in our lives. And this was the revelation Peter got. He said, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the son of the living God. Jesus, with his loving eyes, looks at Peter and says, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has just pulled back the veil and allowed you to see behind the veil. And Peter had a moment where he saw Jesus for who he really is, the Christ. A lot of people don't have an issue with Jesus, but they have an issue with the Christ part of Jesus, the anointing. Because the anointing does stuff that normalcy doesn't like. Isaiah 10, 27 says it's the anointing that actually lifts the burden and breaks the yoke. 1 John 2, 27, near the end of the chapter, the apostle John makes a crazy statement. He says, you have no need that a man teach you, but the anointed one in you, the anointing in you will actually teach you. And so you don't really need me this morning. You know, I'm not, I, maybe I'm working my way out of a job. I don't know, it doesn't really matter. The, the bottom line is this, at the end of the day, the anointing in you is what's gonna transform you. Nothing I say this morning will help you if the anointing, if the anointed one doesn't pull back the veil and make a deposit in your life. Amen. And so the answer to this question, if we get the, the, that, what we say, what our answer, if we get that right, it changes your trajectory as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a student, as the priest of your own home, if you get this answer right, it not only prepares you for the age to come, it equips you for this age. 
Jesus never promised a suffering-free life. In fact, he actually promised the opposite. He said, when you're in this life, you're gonna encounter various troubles. He says, just don't freak out about them. Because the troubles reveal your answer to this question. Sometimes we go through seasons where we're getting all shaken up inside. Tragedies happen, deaths can happen, monetary things can happen, and what happens, it begins to shake our understanding and belief of who he is. And Peter is this awesome example of someone that was willing to go through the shaping and the shaking and come out on the other side as the one who preached the first gospel message on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 individuals heard that gospel message and 3,000 people got born again into the kingdom of heaven. So, Peter's not a punching bag, man. He's a radical follower of Jesus who understood what Jesus was getting after every time he took him into different situations. We're gonna cover some of Peter's epic fails. You guys good with that? Truthfully, if someone would have a screenshot of certain seasons of my life, if they took some screenshots, you'd think I was an epic failure. Aren't you glad that Jesus looks at you through the right filter, through the right lighting? You know what I'm saying? Man, in the right lighting, you can look real good. Right angles. Aren't you glad that every angle Jesus looks at you is the right angle? Like he doesn't see flaws. You can try all you want to expose your flaws, expose your flaws to Jesus. He just looks right past him and sees everything uh, that's great in you and wants to pull that out. It's just fascinating to me. So Matthew 14, look at this. <laughs> One time, Jesus walked on water, and one of the accounts says Jesus sent, sent the disciples in a boat out ahead of him. He was up praying, and he looked out and saw that they were struggling, and so he got off his mountain of prayer, and he began to walk out onto the water. And one, ver one, one version says of this account says he was going to pass by them. So you can imagine you're the disciples in a boat straining, and Jesus, your, your rabbi, just starts coming. He just walks right on by you. <laughs> and out of the corner of your eye, you catch a glimpse and you see something out there. And your instinct, because you've been trained that the Sea of Galilee at night is the abyss, and only bad things can happen there. And so your instinct kicks in. Jesus is walking right by you and your instinct kicks in, in and start, you start yelling what? It's a ghost! Right? And sometimes when God is doing stuff in our lives, we can blame Satan. Should I say that again? Sometimes Jesus is doing something in our lives and we're prone because there's resistance and storms. We're prone to think the enemy's attacking. And sometimes we can call a move of God a move of the de devil. March 30th, just a year ago, our pastor had an encounter with Jesus Christ, the living one. And as soon as somebody says they saw Jesus, red alerts start going up all over. Right, high alert, watch out for this guy. 
said he saw Jesus. I mean, my goodness, we certainly don't want your, your, a pastor to get a revelation of Jesus. So, so, <laughs> so instinct says, let's call it something. Let's, we got to have control because we're afraid, so let's call it something. And the truth is, sometimes God's doing stuff in our life that we blame Satan for. And in this moment, Peter, Jesus says, chill out, guys, it's just me. Peter says, okay, he still doesn't believe. If it's you, right, this is what he says, Lord, if it is you, command, right, command me to come out on the water. Jesus says, come. <laughs> you ever had those moments when, Somebody's up here preaching or something happens in life and you feel this thing, I gotta go, I gotta, right? I gotta respond and then all of a sudden Jesus goes, well then come, come on now. And I just can't imagine that moment when Peter gets out of his fear and, and dips his, puts his foot out of the boat and starts, and, and all of a sudden he, he, he stands on something that normally he should sink in. Isn't that crazy? And, and based upon the command of Jesus, it's called a rhema word. It, it's not just logos. It's not just something written about. Now Peter's experiencing a living word from the living word. And the living word says, come on out, buddy. And he steps out and the Bible says, he, he, he came out on the water and he came to Jesus. So they're probably just like right next to each other. And something happens. He starts seeing the wind because he sees the waves. He starts, see, he starts looking at the natural again. There's tons of messages. I, I don't like, you know, he should have kept his eyes on Jesus. Well, thanks, Sherlock. We, we all should, right? <laughs> Thank you for the obvious statement. Yeah, of course he should have kept. Thank you, bro. But it, it, it doesn't matter why, but he began to sink and immediately, this question, you understand? The question, who do you say that I am out here when you're sinking? Like, who is Jesus when your life is falling apart and you stepped out onto what you believed was true and it didn't work? Right, it's real easy to shift back to your normal instincts. And, but Peter did something different. He said, Jesus, save me. That's a really great place to start. So if you're sinking today, seriously, because Jesus didn't let him drown and then do a, you know, do provide you know, CPR mouth to mouth. And he, he picked him up immediately. And I guarantee took him by the hand while they're walking back to the boat, he looks at Peter and goes, dude, why are you doubting? Come on. Takes him back in the boat and they finish off the boat ride together. This isn't a failure. God, Jesus is developing faith. There's if you really understand Christ well, you understand there's no way to fail. You know, when I played football, there were certain teams we would play against. 
and you would show up game day and you just knew you were gonna beat them. You play differently when you know you've won. You, you know, it, it, it's just, he's trying to teach them, if I'm around, we're not gonna die in a tragic boating accident. Okay. What if we started living our days like we've already won? I wonder how you'd fight. Another time, oh, this is amazing, I love this one. Another time in a moment of heartfelt faith and good intention, you, Peter, look at this, in Matthew 16, 22 through 23, you, Peter, thought it was a good idea to take Jesus, pull him aside, and rebuke him. How many of you ever let Jesus have it before? Now, when you're in a room like this, you don't like to think, you know, confess that. But there's been times, I guarantee, you've complained and you've let Jesus have it. Remember Martha? You know, her brother died and they sent messengers and said, hey, our brother's dying, come. And he waited a few more days just to make sure he was really good and dead. <laughs> That's your friend Jesus. And Peter is like, okay. Jesus just had been taught, he just had that great revelation, whatever you bind on earth, you can, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. This is just a short time after. Jesus starts talking crazy. He starts talking about how he has to suffer. Jesus starts telling all the disciples, I'm gonna go die. I'm gonna die violently. I'm gonna be turned over to the high priests. The one you're looking at to lead you is not gonna be with you soon. And Peter couldn't fathom that suffering in the eyes of the kingdom looks a lot different than it does to the eyes of humanity. Did you know that you can suffer well? Well, pastor, why would I want to suffer? Well, you're going to suffer, so you might as well suffer well. You don't want to suffer. I've never looked for suffering and said, Lord, please send some trial to help me suffer well. I've never asked that, but they seem to come. And the word of God is clear. You can count it all joy when you go through hard stuff because the hard stuff reveals the answer to a question that needs to be answered every day of our life. Who do you say that I am when you're suffering? Because in our suffering, we want an answer. And Jesus always has a way of bringing us back to him as the answer. And so Peter rebukes him. How would you like to be this friend? And Jesus turns and looks at you and says, Peter, oh blessed one, get behind me, Satan. He goes on and elaborates, you're a hindrance to me. Most Christians couldn't hear this word in today's church. Because Jesus is being mean, being mean Jesus, and we don't like mean Jesus. We like bro Jesus, and Jesus that just lets you get away with, you know, Santa Christ. We love Santa Christ. 
just be a good little boy and girl and he'll come visit and you'll get presents. What if he's not Santa Christ? What if he is the Christ? The name that's above every name in this age and the age to come. You, you see? And so all Jesus is doing is taking Peter on a little tour of what it's like to get in the way. To put your mind on things of the earth. Did you know sometimes as a follower you can become his enemy? I use this example carefully, but in my house, I'm, my wife, she is brilliant. Diane is the most brilliant human on the planet. She designs stuff and sets things up well, and then I come and just mess it up. When it comes to discipline, I'm the softy. I always break. They break me down, man. And the only one that gets me real riled up is when they disrespect their mom. And that's when dad becomes an enemy. And see, sometimes dad can feel like an enemy because we're setting our mind on things of the earth and falling in love with the world, not realizing we're falling out of love at some level in our hearts with him. And here's how that usually manifests. We usually start coming against his bride. Can I just meddle in your lives a little bit? How many of you have ever gossiped about someone? Lift both hands. It's like somebody was like, oh, praise God, that's me. Bless God, hallelujah. Confession is good for the soul, right? It is. How many of you have ever slandered someone? Lift both hands. Looking around the room. Man, we are just a bunch of sinners, aren't we? We are crazy. How many of you have ever spoken negative against a man of God, a preacher or a pastor? Lift both hands. How many of you have ever spoken against another Christian? Negative things. How many of you have ever entertained someone coming to you and speaking negative about another Christian? How many of you have picked up offenses from other people that you didn't even have the offense, but once they told you stuff, now you got the offense? I mean, we just need to close this thing out and just pray. I mean, we're just like, it's instinct. But can I tell y'all something? This is the revelation I got in the first service. Sometimes when you're preaching, Holy Spirit just goes, ugh. And even in my, what I, you can dress it up spiritually. You can put Jesus' name on it even. But anytime you step out against his bride, your issue's not with that person anymore, now it's with the groom. Can, can we repent? I feel like we need to just repent as a people right now for all of our nonsense. 
It doesn't have to be, we don't need sackcloth and ashes. We don't need any of that. Can we just lift our hands just like this and say, Father, forgive us for slandering people, men of God, women of God, brothers and sisters. Please forgive me. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be, listen, I don't want to have you as my enemy. I can't imagine how creative you are with your tactics. I do not want to encounter your tactics as an adversary. So, Father, would you please forgive us as a people? Sincerely, forgive us as a people if we've ever marred somebody's character, spoke negative, elevated ourselves, got into pride. Uh, Lord, would you forgive us as a church, as a people? Um, We speak blessing over those we've cursed. You said that same tongue can both bless and curse. So we use our tongue this morning. Maybe just out of your mouth, just bless that person. And I bless them and... And Father, forgive me for entertaining other people's accusations and offenses. I realize that it's caused something in my own heart and messed up my water supply. Uh, so Father, would you, would you heal me, deliver me, and set me free? And would you, would you, just as a church, Lord, would you forgive us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you feel better? Okay. Watch yourself after this. You know, because something happens when you go through those doors. Isn't that weird? And what, what Jesus is doing is trying to train Peter that he can sometimes be an enemy of his friend. Let us stay on the side of friendship, amen? There was another time when Jesus was transfigured before your very eyes. He was clothed in splendor and beauty. Matthew 17. <laughs> this is awesome. So Moses and Elijah appear, verse 3, Matthew 17. And uh, Peter, in his brilliance, doesn't know how to comprehend the moment. You ever been around people or been that person where you don't know how to read the moment? And something comes out of your mouth and everybody kind of looks at you, goes, What was that? And Peter is like, he's like, hey, I've got a great idea. It's good for us to be here, right? That is very obvious. He says, I'll make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Here's what's amazing. Not Jesus. See, Jesus is probably going, Peter, no, stop, stop. His, James and John are going, Peter, what are you doing? All of a sudden, God himself has to interrupt Peter. Have you thought about this? God, the the God who's judge of all the universe has to interrupt Peter and says, Peter, shut up. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You will do well to follow him. Boom, glory gone. James and John are going, really? (laughs) You know, sometimes we can disrupt his glory by just being carnally minded, earthly minded. Glory shows up and we want to package it up and try to create something out of it. And sometimes you just need to rejoice that there's glory there. You know, like, like when you come to the table, Jesus is the centerpiece of the table. When you, when you, when you uh, honor the Sabbath, 
the Sabbath becomes just a methodology of blessing if you miss the fact that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Like everything leads back to Jesus as the source, Jesus as the one, and that's the revelation. That's the revelation. They fell on their faces because God himself spoke and gave another application to the question. Who do you say that I am? When moments where you've been on this mountaintop, right, and pride kind of settles in, you ever been there where you feel like Superman and you're, you're, you're never gonna fall? And then you open your mouth? It's amazing how our tongue can steal the glory. Can we repent of that? I just feel, <laughs> Father, forgive us for when we've, ripped you off of your glory. Help us, Lord. Please forgive us when we've used our tongue, when we've thought about the natural man more than the spiritual and we just kind of get carnal. Please forgive us, Lord, as a people, as a church. Help us. Help us to answer that question. Who are you? Who are you? Amen. Matthew 16, verses 30 through 35. One time you boldly claimed that you would never forsake Jesus, even if all the other idiot disciples did. Yet during Jesus' darkest hour, you did the unimaginable. You denied and disowned your Lord on three separate occasions. Another who do you say that I am moment, isn't it? when the price you have to pay of being associated with Jesus, you know, there's always a price, isn't there? It'll cost you some relationships. It'll cost you even a lot of emotions. Sometimes it'll cost you some tears. Sometimes it'll cost you family members. Peter, they sung a hymn and Jesus said to them, you're all gonna fall away because of me this night, verse 31, I'll strike the shepherd, I've, it's written, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I'm raised up, I'm gonna go to Galilee, I'll meet you guys there, fellas. And Peter answers him, hey Jesus, listen, though everybody else is gonna fall away because of you, I never will. <laughs> Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, this very night, before the, the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times, buddy. So just reel it back in. How many of you ever made commitments for the Lord that you never followed through on? Oh. Come on, let me see the hands. How many of you made commitments to the Lord in a moment of feeling like you'd never let him down, even though everybody else is gonna let him down? You won't. How many of you ever made commitments to the Lord and you didn't follow through on them? Lift your hands. And then you got mad at him later because, oh. Lord, forgive us for starting stuff. Even under the influence where we felt like we would do it. That's the tricky part. You come and respond to an altar call, you're like, surely I'm gonna follow through with this. And then four days later, you didn't follow. You know what I mean? In the moment, you like good intentions are powerful if they're followed through on. So Father, forgive us for our good intention moments when we were convinced everybody else would forsake you, but we never would. 
Forgive us for our pride and our arrogance. And forgive us for not just following through on what you gave us to do. Please cleanse us and forgive us of that. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm starting to feel better. I didn't do this repentance thing in the first service. Luke 22, verses 60 through 62. This is a painful moment, man. Peter's being asked, hey, you're with him. I know you were with him. I recognize you. And Peter's denying like crazy. Last denial. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Have no clue what you're saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, cock a doodle doo. Luke adds a little commentary. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that moment? Man, if I'm Jesus, I'm looking at Peter and I'm going, you better hope I don't get resurrected. (laughs) That's just me. That's just Brian Schwartz. But I think Jesus looked at Peter with so much love in his eyes. Peter, it says he went out and wept bitterly. Some of you have gone through some really tough times. And man, in those dark moments, it's hard to grab, it's hard to find Jesus, isn't it? You go through these dark times, it's just hard to find Jesus. You know, Jesus, or Peter basically did what Judas did in one sense. And I'm not being unkind, but Judas, because he didn't have that answer to the question, he felt so hopeless he had to take his life. Sometimes this answer is the difference between life and death. I can tell you before I met Jesus, I was very suicidal in my thinking. And even after coming to know Jesus. But I'll tell you, the moments that I thought about taking my own life, I would hear the Holy Spirit go, but who is he? But who do you say that he is? And it's that thing that kept me alive. Just that simple remembrance, he's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. I don't know how it's gonna work out. I just know it's gonna work out. Do you you understand? Like, why wouldn't Peter do the same thing that Judas did? Because Jesus is that answer. In the time of grief, in the time of pain, he's the answer. Jesus is crucified now, and you're devastated. The weight of your guilt and condemnation is too much for you to bear. The agony of your denial of the man whom you owe your whole life keeps replaying over and over in your mind. Can you imagine the replays Peter had? How many of you struggle sometimes with past replays of your past mistakes? Anybody? And they just, they become so real, right? It's like this constant reminder. And Peter finds himself in this state. And something happens. Jesus gets resurrected. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus has an angel talk to Mary. 
And the angel says to Mary, go tell the disciples, and who? And especially go to Peter and tell him, I'm going to meet him in Galilee, just like I said. That's awesome. The one who deserved the least consolation. Jesus goes out of his way to spend an angel who's a messenger to relay a message to Mary and say, go tell everybody, but grab Peter, look him square in the eyes and tell him, it's okay. I'll see you in Galilee, buddy. That's amazing. What if Jesus hasn't left you at all? What if that feeling like you're alone is an illusion? What if he just went out ahead of you a little bit? He's just waiting for you to catch up. And maybe you should, we need to get our eyes off our stuff and our straining and realize he's walking right by our boat. You, you understand, and maybe we need to go forward even though he maybe doesn't feel like he's with us. Maybe you go forward with the promise that said he was gonna meet you up there and you just start going up there even when he doesn't feel like he's with you because you got this answer to this crazy question. Who do you say that I am? Peter, already, he was already, he was over in Galilee. You know what he went back to doing? Fishing. Because when you feel like you're DQ'd, you just go back to what works. <laughs> right? Dude's just out marinating in his own condemnation, just throwing those nets out. And then in John 21, Jesus shows up and Peter hears this familiar voice. Hey, guys. Same one he heard in Luke 5. Remember, Jesus got in his boat and was, he said, hey, let's go out in the deep water. You know, Peter has that moment as a fisherman going, but you're a carpenter. You're not a fisherman. Help. And he hears that familiar carpenter voice. Hey, guys, throw your nets on the right side. You're going to get a massive catch. And then I love John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's a special guy right here. This is the guy you want to punch in the face, right? He's so confident in Jesus' love for him. I'm kidding. I would never want to punch anyone in the face, ever. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, when he heard it was the Lord, puts on, he was stripped down, doing his normal task. He covers himself up in a good way because his moment is holy. This, he knows who's there on the shore. Jesus is there. He followed through. Aren't you glad that Jesus isn't bound by your lack of follow through? Aren't you glad that Jesus isn't bound by your past, your weakness, your issues, your sin? Aren't you glad that Jesus looks at you through the right lighting and the right filters? You're the perfect shape. And if you're bald, not one hair is out of place. You're beautiful. Somebody liked that. 
But here's what's amazing, verse 12. Jesus says these words, hey, it all goes back to the table. Hey, come have breakfast with me. And see, that's why we emphasize the table so much around here. That's why we emphasize families getting together. That's why we do this because if you understand correctly, at the table, when there's food involved, your memories get clouded. You understand something starts filling you. When you take intentional moments to remind your soul, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not one of his benefits. He pardons all of my iniquities. He heals all of my diseases. He restores my life from the pit. He crowns me with loving kindness and compassion. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Sometimes you gotta speak to your soul. And Peter's about to sit with Jesus at breakfast. And over one meal, no mention of the denials is brought up because it doesn't matter. Does it really matter when you denied him today? Now, if you wanna make it a big deal, make it a big deal, but you're gonna waste tons of time when you could just be drawn near to him and enjoying a meal with him. Do you understand? We gotta stop fixating on where we're not and trust that we're in him. Stop worrying about where you're not. Stop worrying about what you don't have. Just give him what you have. Just go all in with what you do have. And you've done your best job just like I have most of my life trying to self-sabotage this thing. But you know what? You haven't done a good enough job because he's still here. And he still hasn't left you and nor will he ever. And then he goes and talks to Peter a little bit more and he, after breakfast, he, I think he pulls Peter aside and he just, verse 16, actually verse 15, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. Then Jesus says, well, okay then, then feed my little lambs. Take care of people. Leave your boats behind again. Get back in the game and just start loving people. Ask him another, Peter, you love me? Yeah, yes, Jesus, I love you. Take care of my sheep, tend my lambs. Ask him a third time, do you love me, Peter? Finally, Peter's just kind of broken. He goes, you know what, you know everything. I mean, I think I love you. Now, I'm starting to wonder, you've asked me three times, but I think I do. And here's the amazing part about Jesus. Even if you think you do, and my question whether you do or don't, doesn't matter. He says, just follow me. The rest takes care of itself. So this morning, lots of ways we could go with an altar call, isn't there? Just as a preacher, you sit here, and what do we need to do? How do we, what do we need to do at the end of the message and figure out how to get all these people? Do we bring them down to the altar? Do we take communion? Do we send them out to baptism? Do we, I don't know, maybe it's all that but it starts with this one realization. All these moments, they always pass, but one thing stands firm. Hebrews 13, look at this. One thing stands firm. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. 
I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In verse eight, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you're lukewarm, he's red hot passionate about you. When you think you're average, he's looking through a different filter. All I wanted to do this morning was one thing, paint Jesus as this unbelievably awesome being who's our Christ and the son of the living God. And if you'll dare to wake up every day with the answer to that question on the tip of your tongue, it can shape your entire existence. And you can leave behind your regret, your shame, your torment, your fears. You know, I get to see your awesome faces when I'm preaching and I see people crying and I see people breaking down right now. And I'm, I'm really grateful because the Lord's touching and healing your hearts. And sometimes you just need somebody to look you square in the eyes and go, it's gonna be okay. I just feel like that's what the Father's saying this morning. Gang, it's gonna be all right. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.